Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. So we looked at chapter 12 the last time, and I'll be mentioning some things from that. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Let's just stop right there. I mean, how weird is this book, right? Chapter 12 opened by saying, a sign appeared in heaven, where John saw a woman, a child, a dragon, but now his focus is on the earth, and John saw a beast rising up out of the sea. If you'll remember, the woman was uh, Israel, the child was the Lord Jesus, the dragon was the devil. We looked at all of that last time. But now the the focus is on the earth and he sees, John sees a beast rising up out of the sea. The Greek for beast here is therion, which means a brutal, ferocious, dangerous animal. But it's it's idiomatic. This beast is really a man. And this beast is not just any man. This beast is the Antichrist. Everybody say the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. And notice the definitive article. I said this is the Antichrist. Because we know from Scripture there are Antichrists and there is the Antichrist. The same writer of Revelation, John, wrote in 1 John 2.18, Little children, it is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. By which we know that this is the last hour. Revelation 13, this is speaking of the Antichrist. Now, as I mentioned, the book of Revelation really has for it a companion, and that is the book of Daniel. They're so parallel. You have to consider them together. And Daniel 7 is critical in helping us to know what's going on in Revelation 13. And that's how we know definitively that Revelation 13 is speaking of the Antichrist. From Daniel 7, I don't have time to go there. We'll touch on it and we'll cover it when we get into the book of Daniel. But from this very first verse, we see that the nature and character of the Antichrist is brutal and ferocious. And the Antichrist is a danger, is dangerous. Now when he first arises, this is not going to be so obvious. As a matter of fact... When he first comes, he'll be perceived as the most humane man to have ever walked the face of the earth. He'll be seen as the most peace-loving man of all time. As a matter of fact, he'll be looked at as, well, as a savior of the world. Coming to seek and to save. Sound familiar? Daniel 8.25 says that by peace, he will destroy many. When people say peace and safety, suddenly destruction comes. That's, that's the Antichrist. That's his nature. 
And it's no wonder because 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, which in context means that he makes himself out to be a champion of truth when he's a liar. He makes himself out to be a provider when in fact he's a thief. He makes himself out to be a life giver when in fact he is a murderer. Now it's important to note that the Antichrist is not Satan. So Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. The Antichrist is not Satan. Satan is the dragon that is mentioned in chapter 12. The Antichrist is the beast and the beast is not the dragon over in chapter 13. As a matter of fact, verse 2 of chapter 13 says, The dragon gives the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. So the Antichrist is empowered in every way by Satan. Think of it this way. Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Like it was Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, and then Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> Christ is, is, a, is a title. It means the, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Well, the Antichrist is anointed as well with an unholy anointing. Peter in Acts 10 said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The Antichrist opposite, right? He comes along with an unholy anointing, going about seeking whom he may devour, uh, an unholy anointing, going around and doing bad and, and trying to heal all those who have been oppressed by the power of God, you know? He's trying to undo the power of God at work in people's life. So it's, it's, it's an unholy anointing. I want to I focus just for a moment on the Antichrist, the Antichrist. There's two meanings that are denoted by the word. One is one who is against Christ, against Christ. And the other is one who is instead of Christ. So against and instead of. And those perfectly describe the role or the job description, if you will, of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is against the true Christ, against the true Christ. In this chapter, he's called a blasphemer, a blasphemer, meaning one who speaks against God. He's arrayed against God. He, he resists God. He resists the anointing. And he fights against God's plans and purposes of God. And the plans and purposes of God find their ultimate fulfillment, expression in and through Jesus Christ. And towards the plans and purposes of God, Antichrist is an adversary. He's hostile. He's against Christ. So we see here, we see him as that role. Antichrist, one who is against Christ. The true Christ, the holy Christ, God's Christ, the, the anointed one, Jesus the Christ. But he's also instead of Christ. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> he's an imposter. He's a pretender. He's a fake. 
everything Christ is, Antichrist pretends to be. To garner a following. To take people away from the true and entrap them in the false. There have always been Antichrist. Remember Nimrod? We spent a lot of time on Nimrod in the book of Genesis. Really not a name, but a title. A Nimrod. He, he, he dominated the world, the world's first dictator, leading a rebellion against the plans and purposes of God. Nero, a, a perfect example. Hitler, a perfect example. But there's coming one like none other, the Antichrist. There are many Antichrists. There's one, the Antichrist. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come Notice, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. This is the Antichrist. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God. He's against and instead of. Or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So you can see the instead of, you can see the against. And from this text, because of rumors or some kind of forged letter, the church at Thessalonica thought that they had missed the rapture. How many of you were raised in a church that taught about the rapture, the catching away? Well, maybe if you were, and if you weren't, you really miss some great stuff. It's too bad. Because first of all, it's truth. But second of all, man, it could scare, the, it could scare you really bad, you know? I, I've lived through everything from the trumpet blast in the balcony when nobody was expecting it. Anybody ever heard that before? That little preacher trick, you know? It could happen at any minute. That trumpet could sound. And then, you know, Brother Dumaflachi got his box Stradivarius up here. And out of nowhere, you know, you know, it, it, oh, man. I've lived through that. I've lived through the Jesus films. Now, listen, y'all think Left Behind is something else, right? Some of y'all big Kirk Cameron fans and all that. But the Left Behind series. Listen, the Left Behind stuff from the 70s. I'm talking about guillotines coming down, heads rolling, like, and they would show it in the church. You know what I'm talking about? On those 16 millimeters. And we're like, we couldn't even go to movies, but, you know, we'd show this film in church, you know, and, and, and the heads are rolling, and, and it's like, when the guillotine came down, it's like, the, it, it blacked out, and the organ pipes in, every head bowed, every eye closed, who wants to pray? You know, like, I'll never forget coming home from school at times or just, you know, being out, maybe not behaving correctly. I come home and 
mom and dad are gone. And I'm like, mom, dad, mom, dad, nowhere to be found. Where's mom and dad? And all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, I missed it. And Larry Norman's haunting song starts running through my brain. I wish they'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. So y'all think DC Talk did that, some of you children. But that, that's Larry Norman from back in the day. And I'm like, I was left behind. And then they show up and I'm like, thank God, I got another chance. You know, like, I got another chance. So... <laughs> One of my old teachers in seminary, Jonathan Urshan, Jonathan Urshan always insisted that this, this great falling away mentioned in this Second Thessalonians passage, uh, which is always, is generally seen by many scholars as a time of apostasy. But Brother Urshan always insisted that it was more of a departure, like the word harpazo that we've looked at in this study, a catching away, a departure. And only after the departure of the church, the rapture, would the Antichrist be revealed. Now, I wouldn't argue over that particular passage, but I do know that Revelation 4 is where we saw the rapture of the church, where John's told to come up higher. We never see the church mentioned again in the book of Revelation, per se, as being on the earth. Chapter 5 shows the lamb and the scroll, and then chapter 6 begins with the release of the white horse of the apocalypse, when the Lamb opens that, that first seal. And, and so you see the Antichrist uh, that, that is that first horse of the apocalypse. So you have the rapture and then the Antichrist coming. And at the time of the writing of the letter of this Thessalonians, it, it says that the Antichrist will be in the temple in Jerusalem. And when Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, there was still a temple in Jerusalem. But just in about 15 years or so, that temple was destroyed by Vespasian uh, and his son Titus. Vespasian would go on to replace Nero after a couple other guys battling for control for the empire. But, but Titus in 70 AD wipes out the temple. And really, it was Vespasian wasn't happy about it because he was wanting to exploit that, that temple. But it was wiped out. It was destroyed, uh, dismantled piece by piece, just like Jesus had prophesied. And so by the time of John's writing in Revelation on Patmos around 96 A.D., the temple had long been gone. And so if, if the Antichrist is going to sit in a temple, there has to first be a temple. Valerie and I were privileged to be in Israel. We went to the Temple Institute. You would not believe. This is not just like a fad that's in prophecy teaching, but in Jerusalem among the Jews, there is a huge movement to build the third temple they will build that temple, I'm telling you. The U.S. Embassy headquartering in Jerusalem is just a step towards that direction where Jerusalem is the capital. And they will find a way, as difficult as it seems, they will find a way because that Antichrist, it's been prophesied, will set himself up in that temple and claim to be God. Now, the only thing that is... Holding the Antichrist back is the church. And we've talked about that. We've talked about that. Let me read it just quickly. 
2 Thessalonians 2, 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, Paul said, and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. As big and bad and ugly as the Antichrist is, it says it right here, just one fell swoop, and and he will consume him. The Lord will consume him with the breath of his mouth. But it is the church that has kept him at bay. But once the church is raptured, then the Antichrist will be revealed. So are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Now back in Revelation 6, we saw that the opening of the first seal releases the Antichrist. And uh, I think that's fascinating uh, because, and I, I think I mentioned this, but it still blows my mind. You know, the church is holding him at bay. And then when the church is raptured, the Antichrist is released and that horseman is sent, is released. The devil thinks he's calling the shots, but God in the end is the one calling the shots. The Antichrist can't even be released until Jesus Christ calls his church up and lets him go. God's still in control. And you wonder if he can handle your situation. I'm telling you, he can handle your situation. I've got so many testimonies of what God's been doing in people's lives in the last several weeks, setting people free. People have been hung up on uh, addictions and different situations, uh, needs that need to be met, and the Lord's just been coming through and coming through and coming through. He can handle your situation. He can handle my situation. Now, this beast has, back in 13, this beast has seven heads and and they seem to each have a blasphemous name on them. And again, this speaks of his character and nature. He speaks against God. Daniel 7, 25, he will speak great words against the Most High, Antichrist. And Guzik says the, the figure of ten horns associates this beast with the beast of Daniel 7, verse 7, which we see the the final world empire of the Antichrist represented through all of that, which the Messiah will ultimately conquer. Listen to Daniel 7, 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, it had huge iron teeth. Anytime I see that, I think of that James Bond character. You know what I'm talking about? Was it James Bond? The guy with the giant iron teeth? I should have thrown a picture up here, right? Just to keep your attention. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. Different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Like I said, you've got to parallel the two and find the meaning in this. The book of Revelation has over 800 allusions to the Old Testament. So to really get it, you've got to dive into the Old Testament. And Daniel is one of the key books to understanding Revelation. In Daniel's vision, the ten horns specifically represented ten kingdoms that this final world dictator, the Antichrist, has authority over. You can see that in Daniel 7. 
In John's vision, the ten crowns on the ten horns emphasize that. The visions of Daniel 7 and, and then Daniel 2 also connect the governments represented by the ten crowns, listen to this, with the ancient Roman Empire. In those visions, Daniel saw three successive world empires, followed by a fourth, which in the context of the visions is plainly connected to Rome. In the days of that fourth empire, it said that the Messiah will come and destroy all earthly rule and reign over the earth. So since we do not see the reign of Jesus on earth in the way Daniel prophesied, then we can see that the Roman Empire will have to resume in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled, this expression of this collection of ten crowns. And that's where we get the idea. Some of you have been around prophecy teaching for a bit. This is where we get the idea of a ten-nation alliance, this part of the Antichrist power base. How many of you have ever heard of that ten-nation alliance? And, and it's, it's, this is where it comes from, those, those horns. Uh, so I've heard people speculate that the ten nations are the nations of the European Union, the EU. I've heard more modern teachers talk about possibly a ten-nation Muslim alliance, something to do with NATO, maybe the United Nations in some way. But it definitely appears to have a connection with the ancient nation or the the nations connected to the Roman Empire, probably the the Holy Roman Empire where Charlemagne was crowned by the Pope to govern. So again, Daniel and and Revelation are intricately connected. I feel like we'll get into that uh, much deeper when we get into Daniel. So let's get back to this beastie, this beastie, this beast, right? Let's get back. It says that in my notes. Let's get back to this beastie. Seven heads speak of his power and his intelligence. Think about this. Seven heads, difficult to kill him. And on each head was blasphemy. Each head advertised, one writer said, his blasphemy. The horns speak of the the power that he's garnered. Uh, Ten crowns, one on each horn, uh, speaking of ruling over nations and governments verse number two of of revelation 13 now the beast which i saw was like a leopard his feet were like the feet of a bear his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon we saw this gave him his power his throne and great authority so in this vision god uses this this the images from Daniel's vision to communicate the identity and nature of the beast. Daniel 7, you've got four animals to describe the course of human government from Daniel's time until the ultimate reign of Jesus on the earth. The first three animals are a lion, and in Daniel's vision, this represented, does anybody know what that represented in Daniel's vision? The Babylonian Empire. The, the Babylonian Empire, that, that lion. And then a bear, which was a picture of the Medo-Persian Empire, which took over from Babylon. We see this in the book of Daniel, where the Medes and the Persians came in and overthrew Babylon. 
Belshazzar was throwing a party, the handwriting on the wall, that kind of stuff. The Medes and Persians came in that night and, and took over Babylon. And so that's what the bear represents, brutal. And then a leopard, which is a picture of the Greek empire. You've got Alexander the Great. He was quick. He was like a leopard. He took over much territory. And by the time he was 30 years old, he had conquered the known world at the time. The fourth animal was a dreadful, indescribable beast, which shared characteristics of the previous beast, yet represented the final world empire that's going to be under the Antichrist. John presents this beast as an extension of Daniel's beast in Daniel 7, connecting all of these together. You've got cat-like, you know, characteristics with the leopard, the slow crushing power of the bear, the ferociousness of a lion. I'm telling you, the Antichrist, I don't want to be here when the Antichrist gets here. It's going to be bad. So the thing is, just get right with God, stay right with God, and when the trumpet sounds, you will go away, right? We are going up yonder, y'all. So I want to be ready for that. And so the, the, the beast, the Antichrist is coming. This is interesting to me. There are some scholars, and I was reading after a lot of them the last few days, knowing I was getting back into this. And uh, there are a lot that try to make this, this beast to be just, uh, uh, just government, secular authority, totalitarian government. But I believe this beast is a person. This beast is the Antichrist. And he's going to be over governments. Uh, in the same way, how we associate totalitarian, totalitarian governments with dictators, right? Like Mao in China. When you say Mao, you think, wow, that was brutal. It was really a government, but it was under a dictator, right? Mao. And so it was brutal. The same way with Adolf Hitler, right? When you think of Germany, when you say Hitler and Nazi Germany, it's one and the same. And, and so, uh, and there, there are other, Mussolini, uh, different ones that we see throughout history. Uh, the idea is this, the Antichrist is going to govern and rule and dominate the earth and he will be unstoppable, he will be quick, he will be ferocious, he, he, you, you can't stop it, you just can't stop it. I believe Revelation 13 is pointing to the beast, the Antichrist, and he is a man. And he's closely identified, however, with world government. Swiss theologian Joseph Seiss writes, The beast is worshipped as a god, but people never worship an empire as such. Neither do they make a succession of emperors into an object of religious devotion. The paying of divine homage to kings has been a common thing in the world's history, but it's not been rendered, uh, but it's always been rendered to individuals. In other words, if he's going to set himself up to be worshipped as a god, this is not a government, this is a man. The image, the beast is, is worship. This Antichrist is worship. Beast, the beast, the beast, uh, I, I'm thinking of beauty. You know, I used to sing to my kids. I used to sing to my kids because I'm a preacher and I love prophecy. And so I would sing to my kids, false prophet and the beast. And they were always like, what does that mean, Dad? I'm like, one day you'll get it, kids. That's pretty funny, right? <laughs> uh, 
Here's something that's, that's, uh, that's interesting to me. Uh, I'm skipping some stuff here. Look at verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So you have this mortal wound. It says uh, um, he was mortally wounded. One of the heads, mortally wounded. Deadly wound. Everybody knew it was there. It's a head wound. It's fatal, mortal, grave. It's not a a scrape or a scratch. And he recovers. There's a a healing. This Antichrist is going to call fire down from heaven. He's going to have lying signs and wonders. I'll close just kind of talking about this stuff. You know, I'm all about miracles, signs, and wonders. I think that that is the will of God in the church. I think cessationism, where we say God doesn't do miracles anymore, is a cop-out. Because we should expect, we should set ourselves in a place of faith to believe that the power of God is available to the 21st century church in the same way that it was available to the 1st century church. I believe that with all my heart. And I want to pursue that, and I don't want to cop out and say that that's not possible. Uh, It's not the will of God to move. I believe it's absolutely possible. But if you follow after signs and wonders, and that's your only verification that something is true or false, then you're going to get in trouble. Because the Antichrist, it says, is going to perform signs, and wonders. It will be miraculous what he pulls off supernaturally, even calling fire down from heaven. And I think that's fascinating because we looked at the two witnesses, the two witnesses which are probably, or most likely, I think, Moses and Elijah. Elijah is known for fire, so is Moses. And they call fire down from heaven. Anybody that tried to attack them was wiped out by the fire. And then here comes the Antichrist. The two witnesses are empowered by the Almighty God. They're actually raised from the dead. And here is the Antichrist calling down fire from heaven as well. A counterfeit, right? And instead of, an against Christ. And yet he's going to call fire down from heaven. Here's what I'm saying. When it comes to signs and wonders, don't put your faith in signs and wonders. Put your faith in the Word And let the signs and wonders follow the word, the believers. Don't let believers follow signs and wonders. Because every church that has signs and wonders is not preaching the truth. Everyone that has miracles taking place. This psychic junk and and, and the new age stuff, I floated in that for a while. All kind of, you know, supernatural things. And some of it's like, I hate to say bogus, there's some power that's a demonic power. But it's not true. It'll take you to hell. It'll lead you to the dark side. I remember <clears throat> talking to a guy one time in the early days of LifePoint. He told me he had done some drugs and had some supernatural things happen in his life. To be honest with you, he told me he dropped some ass and started speaking in tongues and wanted to know what I thought about that. And I said, well, I, I got to be honest with you. Like as my grandma would say, I'm against it. 
I'm, I'm against it. Like, I'm for tongues. I'm against dropping acid, you know, and speaking in tongues. And, and, and in my conversation, I said, there's a legal doorway to the supernatural, and there are illegal doorways to the supernatural. Like the witchcraft and all that stuff, which is becoming popular and, and embraced and paganism and, and all this stuff. I, 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 love, I love the soul of a witch, right? But that's a dark place that leads to dark things. And the, the, uh, the Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And so the Antichrist will have lying signs and wonders and is going to, in a way, poke a finger in the eye of God because of those two witnesses. He follows on the hill of that calling fire down from heaven, Dan. And then he has a mortal wound. The two witnesses are raised from the dead and ascend into heaven. He has a mortal wound. And I've heard all kind of speculation about this. What could it mean? You know, seven heads, uh, one of them is mortally wounded. Everybody sees it. But it says the whole world's amazed. And so could it be that the Antichrist is, there's an assassination attempt, a bullet, and everybody thinks he's gone, and yet he miraculously survives and thrives? Could it be, again, a type of... Uh, a mimicking, a finger in the eye of God, Jesus who died and rose again. And he could say, you think your Jesus is all that. I did that. See, I'm connected to the power of the universe. Whatever, you know. It could be, uh, again, uh, just a mockery of the things of God. Died and rose from the dead. And think about this, an antichrist, and instead of Christ, and against Christ. Remember when the temptation of Jesus took place, and the devil brought Jesus, and in a moment of time, he brought him to, uh, to see uh, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, all of this I'll give to you. All I want you to do is bow the knee and worship me. We hear you have the antichrist, as we'll see, who is going to gain the worship of the world. Everyone wonders after the beast and worships him. And he sits in the temple and says, I am God, worship me. Everybody worships him. In other words, whereas Jesus Christ said, no, I'm going to get this the way my plan has called for it to take place. The Antichrist says, I'll take it any way I can get it. Like, give me the worship. Give me the praise. Give it all to me. But again, in the end, just one sentence there, it says that the Lord will consume him with the word of his mouth, just the breath of his mouth, just the ruah, man, the, 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 the spirit of God. When it's time, the Antichrist, as we'll see, the Antichrist is going to suffer is going to be brought into the, the pit, into the lake of fire. And there ain't nothing he can do about it. But there is coming an Antichrist. You hear what I'm saying. There is coming an Antichrist. Even now, there are many Antichrists. But there is coming the Antichrist, who everybody's going to fall in love with. And my prayer is that as the church, our eyes are wide open. I'm just going to tell you, like, it's, 
you know, it's going to be appealing. You know, the mark of the beast, I used to, which is at the end of Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, when I was growing up, you know, it, it was a tattoo on your forehead. Six, six, six. And then we got creative and we're like, it's the UPC code, you know, that, not the United Pentecostal Church code, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the UPC code, the Universal Products code. Like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that'll never happen. My mother is never going to get, well, if that's the only way she can buy herself. No, she wouldn't. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's this tattoo. We've always seen is this tattoo. It's going to be much more clever than that, y'all. This is going to be very, very clever. It's going to make sense. You know, you got a Visa card that you walk up to the machine, you just like, boop, tap it, boom, goes through. How easy would that to put, be to put in your right hand? Boop. And it like, it goes right through. How easy would that be, that mark? How easy would that, how much sense would that make to get some kind of chip implanted, whatever? The, the system of the Antichrist is not going to be uh, crazy looking on the surface. That's what I'm saying. It's going to make sense. That's a great idea. That's why we need discernment. That's why we need to pray and we need to fast we need to humble ourselves in the presence of God. Seek the Lord. I, I don't know all this stuff. I don't know the answer to everything. I'm trying to find my way in this fallen world, but I, I'm holding the hand of Jesus, and the Spirit of God is going to lead me. He, he's going to bring discernment to the church, discerning of spirits. And we're like, something's not right about that. I'm not going there. And we just have to listen to that voice because the Antichrist is, is mean and is not on your side. He's against you. If you're for Jesus, he's against you. But if you're for Jesus, then you're a problem to him. You're actually a restraint to him. You have, and I'm closing with this, you have more authority and power in resisting Satan than he has in dominating you in the name of Jesus. Does, does not the scripture say, humble yourselves, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. One translation says, as in stark terror. He's afraid. We always, you know, Hollywood paints the devil big, bad, mean, scary. And I, and I get it. I, I get the fear factor. But I got the armor of God on. You hear what I'm saying? It's not me and myself. Man, I got the helmet of salvation on. I got the belt of truth on. My feet have the gospel of peace on them. I got the breastplate of righteousness on me. Like I got the shield of faith. I got the sword of the spirit praying in the spirit. And so when I walk, and, and listen, that sort of, and, and I'm standing with me right now. Help me be quiet. When Paul wrote in Ephesians and talked about the armor of God, the armor of, he was not basing it on Roman soldiers. Do you realize that? That's not based, all the Sunday school uh, curriculum and 
flannel graphs in my day. They all have the armor of God as a Roman soldier. He was not, he did not get that from the Roman soldiers. He got that from the book of Isaiah before the Roman Empire. And it says that Jesus put on the helmet of salvation. The Messiah walked in the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the sword of the Spirit and all those pieces. Jesus proved that armor, demonstrated, let me put it like this, the body of Christ, known as Jesus the Christ, proved that armor. And so when you put on that armor and walk in that armor, the devil can't tell the difference between you and the Jesus Christ that he faced 2,000 years ago. Now your mind says, that's impossible. It's just me. No. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we would be made the righteousness of God in him. I'm in him. I'm coming in his name. I'm wearing his armor. I'm covered in his blood. And I submit myself to God and I resist you, devil. And he flees from you as in stark terror. So the Antichrist, you know, I've been to services where the Antichrist was glorified, man. Like, wow. I want to tell you something. He's nothing compared to a saint of the living God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just uh, lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy that's rescued us, called us. Father, whom shall we fear? What can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? There's nothing, no principality, no power. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I thank you, Lord, that we walk in Christ. We live in Christ. We, we move in Christ. We breathe in Christ, Father. We flow only as we are functioning in, in this position. You've placed us in, in this position, and we walk in faith in it. I pray for a discerning of spirits, God. In our homes, let us sense, be sensitive to the things of the Spirit and push those things out that don't belong and pull those things in that do belong, Father. In Jesus. We're not here to play games, Lord. We're here to see your plans and purposes pushed forward. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.